Do you know there are only really two types of batteries in the world, and both have fairly limited life cycles. But a long-lasting alternative could be made from room-temperature molten salts. It's currently being tested by scientists at the University of Canterbury. Associate Professor of Physical and Chemical Sciences at the University, Deborah Crittenden, says long-life, high-performance organic batteries are possible. And she joins me now. Hi there, Deborah. Kia ora, Jesse. Kia ora, nice, nice to meet you. On. Yeah, lovely to chat to you. Tell me what we have so far in the world of batteries. What are we What are we working with um, before you come along? Well, I mean, you know, if you go down to the hardware store, what's on the shelves, right? You've got your lead-acid batteries, the big ones that go in your car, and then you've got your lithium ions, the ones that go in your flashlight or maybe your computer or your phone. But the key problem is that all of these things end up in landfill. Um, and they only have this kind of five to ten year lifespan. So what we really need is batteries that don't break down over time and, and don't have the recycling challenges that existing batteries have. I mean, lithium-ion batteries, they basically explode as soon as you look at them. And you, once you put the lithium in, you can't get it out again. So it's very dangerous business trying to recycle those. Yeah, and I guess your um, first step when you're trying to come up with something different is, is asking why do traditional batteries break down? Yep, absolutely. Although it's a really simple answer, actually. Why does anything break down? Because you use it too much. Uh, why do your knees break down when you get older? Why does your car break down when it gets older? Just mechanical wear and tear is the reason that these existing batteries break down. But if you can replace these solid-state batteries where you're shoving ions into and out of a material to store energy with liquids... I mean, you can stir your cup of tea as much as you want and it still looks like the same cup of tea, right? So then the next question is what are we going to put in these liquids so we can store energy and store enough of it in a small enough space that it'll be practically useful? Yes, I'm all ears. So so you're inventing a liquid battery, are you? Absolutely. Um, and in fact, the first thing we do is turn to computers, which is ironic, which is you know, battery-powered computers or electricity-powered computers designed new materials to replace the batteries inside the computer. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, and, so, and so basically we're looking at these classes of materials that are actually a little bit like um, dyes that are used for dyeing fabric um, to store energy inside your, maybe your car or maybe your, your battery that you attach to your solar panels, that kind of thing. Can you please do your best to explain how a liquid battery would work? Um, sure. Okay, so we put these molecules... Um, inside a battery, and because they are uh, dye-like molecules, we can decorate them with some uh, attachments to make them into kind of this uh, oily, salty type thing. And dyes can absorb light from the sun, right? And that's actually how they work as dyes. You know, you, you're, you're wearing black clothing and you get real hot because it's absorbing a lot of light from the sun. Um, if we are smart about what we do with those dyes, that energy from the sun doesn't just have to get converted into heat and make you feel hot. We can actually extract it as electrons and turn it into into electricity. And we can run the whole process in reverse. We can put electrons in and store that energy as chemical energy inside the dyes. And so we've done this computational design to work out what molecules to use. And we've got into the lab and we've tested them and shown that we can put electrons on and off and store energy. And the next step is going to be just building them into batteries and making sure that we can uh, store energy and release it 
as we want <laughs> at the time that we want. Yeah. It, it seems like a, a great idea and like a lot of great ideas, it seems like a simple idea. Surely you're not the first person to come up with this solution to the problem of batteries that don't last. Uh, no, um, that's true. The problem, though, is that the complexity associated with putting it together and making it all work together. Um, so making sure that the energy gets stored and stays stored. So, you know, with lots of batteries, they can, they can kind of discharge over time. So you don't get this auto discharging process. Um, and yeah, there's just a bunch of, of technical challenges that make it a little bit challenging. And plus you're dealing with liquids, so you've got to pump them around. And so that's all a little bit annoying. Okay, um, so so yeah. we're, we're working on it with a bunch of other uh, researchers across the world. Everyone's kind of pursuing this. And, and how are you going compared to the rest of them? Uh, it's early days for everyone. So we're all in a bit of a race, right? We're in the race to get to the finish line all before each other. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, honestly, as long as one of us gets there, that's a win for humanity as far as I'm concerned. Oh, that's a nice way of thinking about it. What's been your biggest hurdle so far? Um, probably finding time and people to work on it. I mean, people think about science as an endeavor that's divorced from humans, but really science is a very human endeavor. And so you need to, money for you know, to employ those people so that they can afford to eat and time for them to think about doing the science and you know, hands in the lab doing the work. And so it's just a question of finding the resources to get the work done. This has got to be big business. There would be organizations overseas for whom money would not be any problem whatsoever in the pursuit of this, presumably. This is true, but they want you to be advanced to a certain stage um, so that they, you have this kind of working prototype or proof of principle think battery operating in the lab that they can then take and manufacture. They don't want to take on any of the risk of it not working. <laughs> this is the problem, right? Yeah. And this is the problem with a lot of science. A lot of this fundamental science is funded by um, usually government because there's a bit of that kind of it's going to take time and energy and resources and it's not immediately going to make money um, and so in fact actually in the US a lot of that's funded by the Department of Energy and the Department of Defense uh, so but there's a lot of public money goes into these things that are long-term good for the benefit of humanity not short-term profits for a private company and that's probably as it should be yeah if you can design this thing and it works, where would it be used? Uh, so if we do a really good job of designing it, maybe we can use these batteries to replace the lithium-ion batteries in cars. And maybe instead of going to a charging station and waiting half an hour for your car battery to charge, you can just go to a uh, ionic liquid station and drain your battery and refill it with freshly charged liquid. That'd be cool. Mm. Um but the biggest application is going to be in storing energy on the grid, right? So as we do more producing solar energy and wind energy, that those sources of energy are great, but actually you don't have all the lights on when the sun's shining, do you? <laughs> so you need to be able to store that energy for when you need it. And that's what the main, um, that's going to be the main application for these batteries, being able to store large amounts of energy across grid systems so that we can more effectively use renewable power. Great. Um, here's the question I'm sure you hate being asked. When? Go on. When? <laughs> as fast as we can. <laughs> as soon as we can. But honestly, like all good things, it takes a bit of time. 
uh, to work out how to get these batteries, how to get the components to come together and to work properly and to optimize it and make sure you're storing enough energy and tick all the boxes and all of those things. So I don't know. Um, I think lithium-ion batteries, they took 20 years to develop to get out of mm -hmm. an academic lab and into your hardware store. Um, but maybe the early adopters, maybe you will get them, you know, sent out to um, TransPower or whatever in maybe five or ten years. So I don't, Wouldn't I that mean, be good, yeah. Well, how, how long's a piece of string? <laughs> but, uh, the, the more funding we get, the faster we can do it. But, I mean, that's, there's so many good things to spend money on, right? Um, reducing uh, waiting lists at hospitals or paying for excellent public broadcasting. <laughs> there are all of these good things. So, I mean, you don't want to be too greedy and say everyone should give us all of the money because it's a very hard task deciding how to spend out communal money on good outcomes for everyone and there's lots of ways of doing it. Whose money are you spending at the moment? Uh, at the moment? Uh, not We're not spending very much money at all and it is probably student fee income from teaching, actually. But yeah. that's a whole different story. Because university there's money. Other, there's a whole other debate going on there about how universities are funded right now. Not necessarily um, Canterbury having a big voice in that, but I know Victoria University and Otago are talking a lot about how that funding model works and how sustainable it is. But that's a debate for a different time. And oh, I was going to say, we're well, happy to get into university financial politics if you want, Deborah. We've got plenty of time. Mm -hmm. No, no, honestly, um, other people who have considered this more than I are probably better placed to comment. I, in other words, I don't, I don't wish to wade into that. Debate. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, the only other question is about the materials that would be required for your batteries. Yeah. I think existing batteries involve a bit of mining. Um, do absolutely. you have a sustainable supply of whatever you need? We absolutely do. That's actually the main selling point of our batteries. Um, so the the things can be synthesized from readily kind of bioavailable materials. So things that um, can be grown or um, made by bacteria or things like that. So in fact, um, what we're really doing is looking towards the dye industry um, and the pharmaceutical industry for um, the types of compounds that they make and repurposing those inside of our batteries. And their feedstocks are commodity chemicals, ironically, some of which come from the petroleum industry. So that's funny. Um, but some of those of which have um, biologically generated replacements. Nice to meet you. Thanks very much. Good luck. Can't wait for... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll need it, but yeah. I'll let you know as soon as, we, as soon as we've got it working. You can do the, do the first test drive. Deborah Crindon's quite a long name to etch onto one of those Nobel Prizes, don't you think? <laughs> I am not quite that... Maybe just Debs. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Save the guy with the uh, uh, doing the chiseling. Okay, nice to talk to you. Thanks very much. Deborah Crittenden, who's working on a third type of battery at University of Canterbury. Uh, she's an associate professor of physical and chemical sciences.